The 137th Psalm, the 137th Psalm, you know it well. I won't read all of this Psalm. I want to read all of the other Psalm. But you have to have this as the foundation before the rest of it seems to come together and make sense. They said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we wept. What was that last song that you sang, Brian, the last verse to God's been good? The second verse? I've cried some bitter tears. So weeping is part of it. And they were weeping. They hanged their harps on the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive. Underline that word captive. They that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Then the question, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget the old Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Now, that was a psalm dealing with the captivity of the Babylonians. When they came, and, and I can't describe all of it, it would be too graphic, but we do have historical records of how cruel that this captivity was. They mutilated bodies of young men. They wanted them to be afraid of them and serve them, but at the same time, while the enemy wanted God's people to be afraid, they expected them to sing a song as though everything was all right. But see, that's where the world gets things turned around. They think that you can sing God's song anytime and it be a song of rejoicing. But only a song sung to the Lord is a song of joy. The other songs are temporal, they pass by. And when they asked them to do that, they knew because they'd already shown themselves to be such tyrants. They, they selected the chiefest of minds, the strongest of bodies. They ravaged the young women. They took them into captivity, some serving in servitude, some working just not only as slaves, but they were abused in every way that you could imagine. One historian said they had the men in shackles as they came out of Jerusalem, and the only thing they left behind was the weak, those that could not care for themselves, the sick that weren't able to make the journey, but they took the keen mind. They wanted the wisdom that Jerusalem had. They, they, wanted, they wanted some of that joy that was in the heart of the people of God. They wanted that even though they were enemies to the people of God. And they wanted once and for all to be able to be looked at as, as the leaders of the entire world. So this brings about this captivity. 70 years, the people of God were in captivity. Now, some say it was 56 years, but it all depends on where you look at one decree that sent them back, that they made, the majority of them made the decision, I don't wanna go back because they felt like by the time I get back, my home's in disrepair, the house of God is in disrepair. Could you imagine, folks, in one moment of time, this isn't something that, that happened over a long period of time that they could prepare for all at once. 
It was all gone. Their house of worship. Their house. Their belongings. Their business. Families were separated. Never to see one another again. I'm not shocked that they're weeping. I'm not surprised at all. But really when I sat and thought about that, I thought about my experiences that I have seen in just the past two and a half years. In two and a half years, an invisible enemy came along two and a half years ago that took this nation and the world hostage. And what's worse, it took the church hostage. And we bowed in captivity to it. You say, oh, not me. Yes, we bowed in captivity to it. We gave up. Oh, we can look back now and we can talk a big talk. But I'm here to tell you, I was here in the heat of the battle and there was folks that absolutely, they just wrote this church off because they couldn't believe that we kept having church and they would report us because we were having church and they didn't want any part of it. And, and they, because what it is is that's guilt because they should have been having church too. I realized it was scaled down. There were times there wasn't 20 people in this sanctuary, but we still provided church to everybody. Everybody that had a means of live streaming, everybody that had means of communicating, we kept having church. I'm not critical of others that closed their doors, but do you know how many closed their doors never to reopen them again? They're still not open. They no longer have a pastor. They no longer have leaders. People have died from the disease. There's no one to step up, no one to take the church. Church after church, Candy and I drove by one church just a day or two ago. And it is a massive church, a church that when I was a young man, I can remember they couldn't get the people inside of it. And now it's up for sale. Why do you think that is? It took people captive. Now, if that's the end of the story, that would be sad. But God lets us cry sometimes. God lets us weep to appreciate what he has done and to reflect that we take for granted what he's done. And we have taken for granted the things that God's done. Unless you think that I'm wrong, I praise God for this church and I praise God for the liberty that's in this church and the freedom of worship that's in this church. But you trust me, if, if we do not lean on God and trust in God for everything and put God first in everything, I assure you it will happen over a long period of time. In a short period of time, the fire will go out and I don't care what anybody says, the bulk of the people here this morning, you're not here because someone made you come or you feel obligated. The bulk of the people here today are here for one reason. They're in a place where the presence of God is at and where there's liberty to worship the Lord and where we still believe in singing and lifting our voices to God and preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God and standing on the word of God. They're here because they enjoy holy fire. I was preaching at a church one time, the preacher said, boy, you get excited. 
said, uh, you know, aren't you afraid of wildfire? I said, don't worry about it. You'll not have that problem here. You might be battled with no fire, but here they are in captivity, weeping. If it ended there, that would be sad, but here's the twin psalm, the 126th psalm. And the 126th psalm says, I'll give you a minute to get there, just back up two or three pages in your Bible. I love to hear the turning of the leaves, the pages of God's word. The 126th psalm. What's the first word? What's the first word? When, that's what I'm preaching on. When. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. This was so great that it took the heathen to remind them how good God had been to them. Now that's something when the devil starts noticing God's blessings. And when people that are unbelievers start saying, you know, God's doing something for those people. The heathen declare, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us. They, they didn't recognize it until the heathen recognized it. And the heathen reminded them that God has done some great things for us. You know, it's kind of like we come to church, we sit down, we say, here I am, bless me if you can, Lord. And then while we're sitting there, we go through service after service and we just expect God to show up and we start to take that for granted, but all of a sudden, you're out in everyday life and people start saying things to you like, man, I watch your live stream every week. Oh, I wish that our church was like that. We're not better than other churches. Any church can have what we have, but you will not have it until you recognize that he is God and he's the only one that can give it. And it reminded them of the great things. That's why when we're on vacation, we always visit other churches. Sometimes it's refreshing and sometimes it just reminds me how good we've got it around here. Because some places we go, if I say amen, the whole congregation turns around. And I'm not talking about a few folks, I'm talking about hundreds of folks sometimes. They turn around and look at you like, where did you come from? Did the pastor give you permission to say that? Yes, the good shepherd. But people get that way. And, and God's been good to us. And they started reflecting on what the Lord had done for them and said, what did he do? Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Hmm. Doesn't say that everybody will rejoice. He uses a, a, an analogy here. He tries to teach through, through something that was common, a metaphor they could all understand. He's using a reference 
to farming. He said there's sowing time and there's harvest time. And in this particular sowing time, the sowing time was at the beginning of the harvest. And here the harvest is coming, but there's a period of time between the time you sow and the time you reap. They have sown in tears. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Everybody doesn't reap in joy. Maybe you don't get any more happy about what God's doing in your life because you've not been through enough sorrow yet. But you shed enough tears and you deal with enough broken hearts and then you see God turn the captivity around and see the Lord turn it all around for people and all of a sudden, all of those tears turn into rejoicing because of the fact you have sown in tears and you reap in joy and you bring your sheaves with you. So here it is, plain and simple. When? Do you realize how important that word is? When? You think a word's not important? I bless his name that he didn't say if. He didn't say if. He said when. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. God said, yes, you sow in tears, but you remember this, on my clock, God is saying, there is an appointed time where I'm gonna turn it all around and in a moment of my goodness and power, all of the captivity will turn around for my good and my glory and God says, I'm watching over you. Yes, there's a period of time and we don't know how long it will be. For them, it was 70 years of weeping. But after the weeping was over, it only endures for the night for joy cometh in the morning. Job said, hallelujah, Job said, said that man that is born of woman is but of a few days and full of trouble and Job got in some of the worst trouble that anyone could ever experience and he was going down and down and down in trouble but suddenly Job was reminded he said I feel like I'm in a dark cave I'm down in a dark pit and I can't claw my way out and I can't scratch my way out and I don't know which way to go but he said Lord surely there is a vein of silver in this darkness and God reminded Job when I have already marked your coming out day Job and I'm going to give you double for all of your trouble you're not going to be in it forever I've marked the date the time when you're coming out when how long will it be I can't tell you how long been two and a half years for this enemy. And some people still using it as an enemy. <laughs> Can I tell you this in all honesty? God's conquered this enemy. God has already defeated this enemy. Oh. oh, glory to God. You go through things in life 
and you wonder how long, God says, it's not if you're coming out. It's not if it will turn around. You just remember when it turns around. And they were so busy looking for the answer to a question of, Lord, are you gonna turn this thing around? Are we gonna be like this forever? When they finally realized what had happened, they, they didn't even notice it because they said it was like a dream. Why was it like a dream? Because they weren't expecting it. They had lost faith and confidence in God. It is so easy to lose confidence in the God that has created all things. But let me remind you, if you are the saved, if you are the blood bought, if you are the sanctified, if you are the spirit filled, if you are the justified, if you are the prayer warrior, if you are the church if you are the praiser, if you are the worshiper, if you are the faithful, if you are the good, if you are the holy, if you are the righteous, if you are the one that depends on God for everything, it's not a matter of if, it's when God turns it around. When? Not if. So, to look at the word when tells us one thing. It's all a matter of time. It's all a matter of time. <laughs> See, some of you, the devil's gonna come against you and he's gonna tell you it's gonna be like this forever. You're not going to get better. It's not going to turn around. You're not going to see your loved ones saved. You're not going to experience joy. You're never going to be happy again. Every time you go to the doctor, they have more bad news. There's more tests to run. There's more things to do. And soon that drags on. Loretta's here today for Roger's drug on now, her and Roger, six or seven years. But Loretta, it's not if. It's just a matter of time. It's when. It's when. And here's the thing. Don't let the enemy tell you when it's over. Don't be the last to know. Be the first to know. I'm not dependent on the devil to tell me if I'm gonna have a good day today. But some of you already made up your mind you're not gonna have a good day today because when you got up, you already, you already know what it is. Those first 10 steps are the worst of the morning. It's like you lock up all over. And there's no WD-40 can loosen that up. And the devil will always make it worse on, on Sunday. You'll always get more sick on Saturday night. You always have more problems on Sunday. Would you help me preach today? You always have more cares and burdens on the Lord's day. 
And, and what it is, is the devil a lot of times will say, man, I've lost that one. They've already won the victory. They've already, they've already got it and they don't know it. If God gives it to you, the devil can't stop it. But what it is, he wants you to be the last to know. But I want to be the first to know. It's a matter of time. And when God shows up, I'm ready, Lord. Pour it on me. Give me all that you got more, Lord. Oh, I'm ready for what you have. It's just a matter of time. It's his timing. So yes, you weep. You always thought you knew what it would be like to deal with grief. And you did what you could to help others deal with grief. I mean, you sent cards. You made calls. You prepared food. You made visits. But then one day, it all turns around. And your car's behind the hearse. And then you begin to realize, you know, People mean well. But everything they say, and whatever you do, don't stop reaching out to others in their time of grief. That's not what I'm saying. But when you're on the side of grief, you begin to wonder, how long? You know how many people sit across from me and ask me, how long is this gonna take? And you know what my answer is? as long as it takes. I sat in my office about three weeks ago with someone that they have gone through an extended period of grief and they said, how long? And I looked down and they happened to have an Apple watch on. I said, do you have the time? They looked at me like I was crazy. They said, sure. I said, what time is it? And they held their watch up. I said, stop. They said, pardon? I said, stop. They said, what? I said, hold your watch right there. They said, really? I said, yeah. Hold your watch right there. Why? I said, because every time the devil tells you you're not coming out of this and your life is over and you're never gonna be happy again, you hold your watch up in his face and you say, God has a watch. and he's watching over me. And at the wind, he's gonna turn this captivity all around and turn my tears into joy. I have a lot more to tell you, but I know I got off vacation and you've not been on vacation. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I'll see, I'll see how bold you are today. How many of you that are believers have something going on in your life right now that only God can take care of it? Raise your hands. No heads, but hold it, raise your hands. Raise your hand, look at that. Up in the balcony, I don't wanna overlook you. Hold it, raise your hand again. Up in the balcony. I wanna move to the balcony, nobody has problems up there. The way it looks, isn't it? I think I'll have to go to the balcony. 
Well, everybody to the right in the balcony <laughs> and a few to the left. <laughs> you know what you ought to do? You ought to flood these altars today and tell the devil when. When God turns this thing around, my grief will become joy. My sorrow will become rejoicing. My sickness will become healing. And you that are lost, you need to tell the devil, enough is enough. I'm coming.